Talk, Season 4 of the Telly Award-winning podcast. Bringing you the words of the immortal Tom Waits, reminding you that a gentleman is someone who can play the accordion, but doesn't. That's fair. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant Banjax and now Fashing Origins. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left this time is... Uh, David Avalone, uh, comic book writer, TV writer, astronaut, a man barely alive. Like it. And uh, a man who can play the accordion but doesn't. Uh, if you miss I any of our... I, would, I want a car. There's a carve-out for Italians. Okay, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's possible for an Italian to play the accordion at all times. Yeah, you go to Palermo. They know what you're doing. Yeah, you, go, you go to Palermo in um, in Los Feliz, the, the Italian restaurant, and you're having a great pizza, some pasta, something like that, and there is uh, an older gentleman, I forget his name, uh, one of the you know biggest, best, brightest characters I've ever met in my life, and and he he's there on Friday nights. He plays the accordion. He'll come over. You got a date there. Your wife, your your husband, whatever it is. Uh, it's a magical experience. So I don't mean to. Uh, That's what I mean. Yeah, I don't mean That's to badmouth legitimate accordion players. The problem is there are very few legitimate uh, yeah. accordion players in the world, and way too many uh, frauds. So um, yeah. No, the so, uh, I, I think if you say play a little something by Nina Rota and you get a uh, blank stare, you're, you're looking at a bad accordion player. That's, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, and and, and you can easily knock out theme from The Godfather, man. They're you know that they they're they're lost. You can easily you know uh, swerve violently into the polka lane, which is uh, very problematic. Yes. Um, uh, Counting Crows, a lot of good accordion on those songs. Really, uh, I did not know uh, that. Th- those early albums, August and Everything After, is very accordion rich in a good way. Um, if you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, uh, accordion free, accordion free conversation, uh, accordion free episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more. Our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, uh, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it out. Um, great show today, uh, but it's been a while since we've uh, been in the old digital room here. How are you doing, Apolloni? Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm picketing on days when I can uh, take time away from doing the non-struck comic book work. Uh, Elvira in Monsterland number four is in stores now. I found out yesterday <laughs> by accident that um, Betty Page Unbound Volume 2, the trade paperback of Betty Page Unbound 6 through 10 just dropped. So that's nice. Um, I finally, yesterday I got in the mail my award. I got a a scribe award from the fantastically named International Alliance of Media Tie-In Writers, which I'm going to encourage our guests to join because it's awesome. Uh, yeah, I got an award, part of the anthology, the Kolshak 50th anniversary anthology. Got an award from, for writing about Kolshak. Go back in time and find eight-year-old me watching the TV movie and say, funny, funny story. You're really going to have a hard time wrapping your mind around this. Uh, this only lasts a season, and still, in the year of our Lord, 2023, you will receive a very pretty Lucite uh thing with your name on it saying you wrote this character very very well so that's very funny that's pretty good i'm, I'm looking forward to uh mine next year for my uh, hard castle and mccormick uh, novelization <laughs> that that's uh that's hitting stores in february so oh yeah um, yeah 
So look, look me up, guys. Yeah. yeah. What do you got going on? Um, well, uh, we have a broken toilet, so I've been uh, doing right. a lot of plumbing work. Uh, we had a car breakdown here, so I'm uh, I'm a I'm shopping for a new uh, electric and or hybrid. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how the incentives come down and all that stuff. Um, other than that, uh, I've been all in on this novel. Uh, had you know a, a gang of notes back from the editor and implemented those and sent them off and. We'll see where we end up. So I am a uh, I am a striking uh, screenwriter, but I am an active novelist right now. So let's get her done. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, let us bring in today's guest. Pre I'm gonna. I should have asked. I didn't ask how to pronounce the name. It looks like you should be able to pronounce it easily. Preeti Chibber. How'd I do? So close. So oh, so like it. like so close. Why is the add to stage button not working? There we go. Yeah, she was in. I was in. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. Did I make it? Damn it. Technical difficulties. Am I here? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it literally was registering every keystroke about a minute late. So that was yeah. great. So I how did I do with my terrible? You, uh, you, very close. Okay. Hit me. It is, my name is Preeti Chibber. So it's with a soft T, which I know there is confusing because there's no H. Nate in there. Um, I am a writer. I write comic books and kids' books, and my latest book, Spider-Man's Bad Connection, came out very, very recently. And is that a, a novel or is that a comic? It's a novel. It's a prose novel, which is was an interesting experiment. There are not very many ways to say shoots a web. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> I can see that. That is a that is a that is an issue with coming up with new and you know some of the ways that you would say it's not appropriate for nope. a uh, a YA novel. No, no. You know, I, 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 going yeah. with spurts erupt. You know, there's just a lot of. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I also love. I mean, I love that. You know, this show is about talking shop, and I love these days where you know you literally had to spend. You know, I don't know what it was, an hour or two. Uh, you clear some time in a day, and you sit down. And you break out, you know, the you you log on to thesaurus.com or whatever, and you're like, okay, I'm going to make a list of 50 different ways to to say shoots a web. <laughs> and, and I'm gonna have it here in a word doc. That that would have been the right call, I think. Oh, so you did, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Every yeah. time I dug in, I was like, how do I yeah. do this? How do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I I I it's I I mean I always love that writing stuff. Like I'm I'm uh I'm writing a um uh uh, an action movie right now that um, that has uh, uh, it, it takes place uh, part of it takes place in and around a gold mine, um, and I know a bit about gold mining, but um, there are these times where it's like, okay, well today I need to figure out how a shaker deck wash plant works, um, <laughs> and I go to school, you know, yep. uh, yeah, yeah. and, and, and I, I need to, I, I need to know how it works. But more than that, I need to be able to explain clearly in a very concisely in a screenplay to an impatient, sometimes idiotic, uh, you know, development executive uh, uh, what it, what a shaker deck is <laughs> and what uh, it, it, you know um, uh, what, what, what how how water is supplied to a wash plant, uh, uh, how that could be interrupted, and how that might be catastrophic uh, to the to the drama at hand. And all of this stuff. Um, that is funny to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just sitting around making people talk and making yeah. people cry and laugh and stuff like that. Well, I am 
I got to go to school sometime and then I got to teach school. Yeah. It's so. very much like I was talking to a, a friend and I were doing a writing day and we were both just struggling. Just as a, it was one of those days where you're like, nothing, everything is bad. Everything yeah. I'm writing is bad and that's okay. But we were like, this is just homework. We just, we have decided to do homework for yeah. our for the rest our of entire our lives. lives. Yeah. That is what it is. Yeah, I I, I did a book report on mm -hmm. like gold mining. Yep. Uh, I just <laughs> I, I I just wrote it as if people were were talking about it. Um, yeah, no, I I'm writing something right now. Uh, the next Elvira series is Elvira meets H.P. Lovecraft, and it reminds me of writing Edgar Allan Poe, where I'm like. Literally, I can never use the simplest way of saying anything <laughs> coming from, you know, H.P. Lovecraft can't say ask. He has to say inquire. He has to say some, you know, like there's just no common nouns, verbs or adjectives can come out of that guy's mouth or it's not going to sound authentic. It was the same thing with Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, anytime he had to express something, I'm like, this has to be expressed in the hardest way possible. <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of a lot of quoting. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. a lot of no, and I, I literally have a list of all of the goofy uh Lovecraftisms, like you know, how many times he described things using words that were completely like what does that even what does cyclopean mean really you keep saying that about the architecture but the architecture has one how, eye. How, how? what is that <laughs> what the hell is that the non-euclidean ge geometry that is one of my favorite things about him as an as a writer is he'll say you know he'll have a character called the high priest never to be described and then the next half of the sentence is who was wearing a long robe and had a hood. And like, you seem to be describing the high priest never to be described. And I, is that some sort of party foul there? It, anyway. it, 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 it's a good lesson though. I mean, it, um, uh, it is a necessity. It, it, it is a must when you're writing an actual historic character, right? It's like, okay, well this, it has to sound like this person, mm -hmm. but you then realize you can look back at everything else that you've written and you can realize how, how often you used Wonder Bread. This person just talks like a regular, you know, uh, right. average fucking Joe. And Wonder Bread is pretty boring. Right. Um, and 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 you realize how, you know, how a drama can come to life, uh, mm -hmm. you know, come to life uh, in such a vivid, interesting way if you just kind of, you know. You put some sauce on that bread, I guess. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and you know there there's an easy manual to fall uh, a manual to follow when you're doing Poe or Lovecraft or something like that. Yeah. But you know, uh, Joe Smith, your gold miner, uh, uh, can be just as um could as, be could be a more interesting person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that comes up. Um, you know, the, the completely different topic, but I think a lot of the casual racism, sexism, lack of diversity in material is just sheer laziness yeah. above malice. Like there's malice. There's definitely malice. There's definitely sexism. There's a, but a lot of times it's just like George Lucas can't imagine two races living in the desert. Right. So we have the little grubby traders who are called the Jawas. Literally he do changed one, one <laughs> vowel. And we have the violent tribesmen called the sand people. And it's like, Maybe George is a racist, or maybe he just didn't want to dig particularly deep. <laughs> you know, like maybe he didn't want to work real hard coming up with alien cultures that he himself did not understand. It just went, well, I don't understand Jews and Arabs. I will put them in my Star War. Okay, George, good for you. Um, but anyway, 
Uh, this isn't your first time. I see there's another uh, Spider-Man Social Dilemma. Yes, that is the first book. It is a trilogy. So this, the second book just came out, which is also a new experience. I regrettably made like the bad guy, the over overarching A thread that is going across all three books is very science forward. Oh, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. It's I'm not good at it. And so it was a lot of a lot of YouTube videos of very kind scientists explaining very simple things to me that I would then regurgitate into this book. But yeah, it was an interesting experience working. Now, I just turned in the third one. Like, oh, congratulations. Thank you. Like three weeks, three weeks ago, a month ago, something like that. Um, but I pitched the series like four years ago. So it's been a long wow. sort of process yeah. of telling. Was a lot of that getting approved to do it. And yeah. Yeah. There's a solid year of just outlining and updating, outlining and updating, pitching and consistently just like getting like more and more into what they were, what the, I couldn't do and what I could do and understanding what was where the line was that I could walk sure. and still tell the story that I wanted to tell, but within their parameters. Sure. And your Spider-Man is 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 first gen teenage Peter Parker. It is, yeah, it I is. I got that from the from the comics <laughs> and all that. You know, and it's, great, it's a great character. I mean, it's you know, it's a there are there are many great variations of that character, but that's of course the you know the the primal one that uh, that launches the whole thing. And had you been a had you been a Spider-Man fan previously? Yes, huge Spider-Man fan. Um, I spent like I worked in publishing for a long time, and I spent like five years in New York City just telling everyone I met I wanted to write a Peter Parker novel. That's great. <laughs> Where where were you in publishing? Uh, I worked at Scholastic and I worked at HarperCollins over the course of about a decade. I still have fond feelings about uh, Scholastic because they kept my father in print for a crazy long amount of time, which is very nice of them. And also when we asked for media rights back from some of their stuff, they actually just said, yeah, sure, whatever. And we're like, really? Like, I know no one is really focused on this, but usually companies will hold on to rights they have absolutely no intention of using just because. Just because. Well, just as a reflex. Scholastic benefits from still being a, I mean, it's a yeah. independently owned company. It's not a part of any sort of big uh, corporation. And so, like, the guy who owns it is the guy who owns it. Right. Right. Yeah, no, and it's still... Um, I always feel like when people talk about the big two comics publishers, they're kind of conveniently forgetting that Scholastic exists because it graphics is amazing because it technic it technically sells more comics than Marvel and yep. DC. They it just isn't doing monthly floppies, so mm-hmm. uh, so people sort of ignore that it's in the marketplace. But it is Which the is biggest. Publisher. It had Bone, Rain and Algemeyer. Yeah. Like right. graphics sure. does incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I've always heard. And what, how did you make the leap out of working in publishing to writing? Um, I, like I said, I was very loud about what I wanted to do. Sure. And I was always writing on the side for freelancing because, you know, millennial side hustles. You can't, I was like, I can't live in New York with a single job. So we mm-hmm. will have many jobs. Um, and part of that was uh, a friend of mine put my name in when Marvel was looking for someone to write like a tie-in novel to Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. 
And I had these like portfolio pieces to send them and I was still working full time. And they basically were like, if you can write this book in two months, like we like your voice, like let's go. And I did it. And then they came back to me and were like, would you want to write like a actual your original your own original Spider-Man book after all of that happened? And I was like, yes. Also, I'm going to quit my job and be a full time writer. (laughs) (laughs) That is that is the bold move. (laughs) So you did the novelization of Far From Home? It wasn't a novelization. It was like a it was like sort of like a diary of your of a wimpy kid style oh, okay. like thing with Peter and Ned and MJ writing. So it, was, it was sort of a YA. Yeah, it was it was companion. like very Yes, it was a companion book for, you know, sort of like 8 to 10 year olds. It was fun. Oh, it was fun. A, it was a very sweet thing. It was an ex- like interesting experience. They brought me into the Marvel like offices in New York and put me in a room. They took all my stuff. I had like a pen and two pieces of paper and they were like, here's a version of the script. You can read it twice. You can write things down. We're going to take your notes, scan them, redact anything we don't want you to know. And you can access them through a secure server to write this. Your own notes. That's amazing. (laughs) My favorite version of that. uh, And I'm trying to remember who the writer and artist were. When Spielberg made 1941, notoriously his worst movie, um, the I think I want to say Heavy Metal got the rights to adapt it, and they let the writer and the artist watch the movie once, take whatever notes they could, and they did the comic based on that. No <laughs> script, and like this isn't Star Wars, even in the. Even Star Wars wasn't Star Wars when that movie was made. You know what I mean? With the secrecy and the, but like they wouldn't give them a script of this terrible movie or, you know, a VHS or whatever. And one of the, I think it's the writer has signed on his wall, the letter from Steven Spielberg saying your comic book is the worst fucking piece of shit I've ever seen. Well, in my entire life. <laughs> it's like, well, hey, Steve, really there was a, there was a way around that. There was, there was, there was, a, but yeah, literally that comic book is written by a couple of, you know, probably stoned dudes going, Hey, was there a did Belushi? <laughs> what did Belushi say at the gas station, man? I don't remember. I was so high, you know, and it's just really funny that like, they thought that was a great idea. They thought that was, no, nah, that's going to be fine. That's fine. That's going to be fine. It, that's it, really it, great it, in the 80s, in the UK, they would put out these comic book annuals for American TV shows. Um, and there are a couple for Magnum P.I. Oh, and my the God. Fr- and and, and, and they're, they're awesome in their own hack way. But so I think that when the first one was being written, the show hadn't even really premiered yet. There mm-hmm. was a pilot script, right? And so what they did was they sent all of these creators the pilot script for Magnum P.I., which changed before it was actually shot um if you watch the pilot of magnum pi certain things about it about the characters are very different than what you even saw in episode two um the character of rick was like he was you know he was supposed to be like rick from casablanca you know he uh uh he dressed like that he talked like that it was really stupid and they they made the pilot with rick like that and then a bunch of people watched it and said yeah, that's really stupid. It doesn't work. And they violently changed Rick for the second episode on. And Larry right. Minetti is awesome and he's magnetic and people love him. So you, so this annual comes out and it has Rick from Casablanca like all through it. 
I mean, it's like 10 <laughs> stories and it's that Rick. And, uh, and it has all these different changes and it's just really funny when that stuff is allowed to exist and yeah, it's I love the, put out and it, yeah. I love the gold key Star Trek comics from the seventies, which are just like, what show did you guys watch? Man? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey no, it takes place in space, man. Come on. Yeah. Cause I feel like they, like it's partially, I think also how I, like I encountered them probably long after the show was in reruns mm -hmm. but just like everything else the comic book was probably done before they were done shooting episodes so i'm like how did they not know <laughs> like what the what the hell is going on with all of these characters and all of these you know and god knows that's a more complicated setup than detective in hawaii like at least you're going to get the detective in hawaii part right uh but you know the cost everything about it my father wrote um the first book in the Hawaii Five O tie-ins, mm. and the, if you go on like you know Hawaii Five O fan sites, which I don't recommend, um, <laughs> they fucking hate that book because they're like Steve McGarrett smokes and he drives a, a Lincoln when we all know he drives a Cadillac. Oh my god, non-smoker. I'm like. The dude hadn't been cast yet when my father wrote it. I think he made a relatively good guess that a police lieutenant in 1971 smoked. You know, like he, you know, he didn't know they'd hire a health nut to play the part who refused <laughs> to smoke on camera. You know, just, there's a lot of stuff like that where people just have no idea how these things are made and that they're made before the show premieres and they're yeah. made before, you know, Actually, Dad wrote three Partridge Family novels before the the, the show premiered, and they're way wackier than the series. He has them solving murders, and That's like awesome. it's, they're, they're almost they're almost like Scooby Doo. Like there there's a horror element. The second episode is a the second book is a horror book called The Haunted Hall. Uh, but they did very well because by the time the, the TV show came out, they were like, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing the Partridge family doing a little ghost busting. I don't, you know, that's, that seems like a perfectly reason. I don't mind Keith becoming an international Yeah, they're spy. like, is, is David Cassidy on the cover? I'm going to buy it. I know. And it, that, yeah, that, that, that all worked out fine. Those people are not, weirdly, the Partridge family fans aren't as uh, obsessed with continuity as the Hawaii Five O fans are. I, I, I love the big security songs uh, and dances. Um, I have two interesting Hollywood stories along the lines of, you know, notes being scanned and stuff like that. So I, I, I had a cup of coffee on the Hitcher remake um, at Platinum Dunes. Uh, Platinum Dunes is a company that is owned uh, 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 at least partially by, by Michael Bay. And so the Platinum Dunes offices are in Michael Bay's complex. And we, we've talked on this show about my trips to Michael Bay's complex from time to time, the Ferrari parked out front on the sidewalk and, um, and uh, the, <laughs> the, the, sidewalk. Six, the, the six foot Ninja Turtle statues uh, right outside the bathroom that you don't see going in, but when you come out, they scare the shit out of you. <laughs> um, uh, all Those of that. Those things are terrifying. I yeah. 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 Um, they're very terrifying. Um, so anyway, I am, I am at a meeting on the Hitcher uh, with the producers of the Hitcher and the whole nine yards, and we're 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 deep in it, and we're doing this and we're doing that, and they aren't that worried about the Hitcher. But at some point, there's a knock on the door, and I look up and it's Michael Bay, and he's very excited, 
and uh, I think the film was called The Island. Do you remember the the, the movie? Oh, yes. the, there were the you and there, McGregor. Yeah, I, I think that there yeah. were the clones, and, yeah, 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 and they're, yeah. they're there. So not to know, be confused with Michael Caine and the pirates. Yeah, yeah. in a yeah. failed follow up to Jaws. <laughs> yeah. Just and so, so and, yeah, and so Bay comes in, and he's he has these like one sheets, and he's like, "Guys, I'm so so fucking excited. The 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 posters for the island are in," and 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 everybody's like, "Oh wow, you know," because because Michael's excited, they gotta get excited, blah 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 blah. And so we all gather around these posters, and Michael's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this. I'm excited about that, and this thing. And I think I'm gonna have him change this." And then he looks up, and he's like, "Who the fuck is that?" And and he and he realizes that I am the one non you know, insider uh, person in the meeting. And it's like, oh yeah, that's Rylan. He's, uh, you know, he's in here. We're talking about the Hitcher and blah, 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 blah. And, and Bay's like, no, what, you know, he starts gathering these things up and, and, and he very quickly gets out with the one sheets and, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and then somebody gets to talking to in the hallway and, and they come in and they try to act like everything's cool. We get done with our meeting as a, one of them walks me out and it's like, dude, you can't say anything about those one sheets. Like, okay. <laughs> like, like, like my, Michael's really worried about these one sheets, um, <laughs> about these posters getting out all these things. So, so you can't say anything about them. Okay. I'm like, yeah, well, I, I, I literally do not care about these one sheets. And so anyway, like two days later, someone leaked the one sheets to Harry Knowles at Ain't, Ain't oh, Cool News. Yeah. And my manager gets like a really angry phone call being like, you know, we're, we're, we're accounting for everybody who, you know, and, and Rylan, Rylan was, you know, one of the only people that, uh, you know, that, that wasn't a, an inside guy. Did he leak the one sheets to Harry Knowles? Oh my God. And like, like, like the, the specifics, like I, I physically put eyes on them. I never had access to files or yeah. or, or anything like like uh, they couldn't even figure Your out. cybernetic eye yeah. cameras. Right. Yeah. Pictures. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but they were extremely worried that I had leaked these one sheets to Harry Knowles, and uh, and and then they were very suspicious of me moving forward. <laughs> so hilarious. Yeah. And then and then there were and then there were there were times. So I I, I worked um, for for Ridley Scott's company on this thing that was called the Ultimate Warrior Project, which was basically like this is an actual thing that happened. So the King of Jordan owns this uh, this training compound. Um, where uh, special forces uh, soldiers from all over the world come and train. Uh, it, it's basically like a top gun for like SEAL Team Six, right? Uh, the best of the best come there. They 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 trade trade secrets, uh, all of that stuff. And and you know it was going to be that sort of movie. Basically, like uh, there's a competition there every year to see who the baddest of the bunch is. And basically, there's this competition. A big thing happens, and these guys who are already there have to respond to it. it it's Top Gun with with Navy SEALs. Um, but because of that, we were meeting with all of these like really interesting kind of crazy people. Right. And sometimes you're sitting down with like a couple of, of ex Navy SEAL types and they just look like wiry in shape dudes and they're 100% confident and they have beards and they're, you know, whatever. Um, but, <laughs> but this one time, you know, we, we, we had met with three, four groups of these people right and it's just you know you're sitting in the conference room we have sandwiches you're shooting the shit uh you start talking about sports you, you have a list of questions you ask them they're sharing their best stories but this one time we go in and it's like really tense and weird there and there's like security there and and we're like this isn't like it was before right and like we're sitting in the same conference room 
And somebody who looks like a lawyer or an agent comes in and says, guys, like, uh, we're going to need you to sign these before this goes down. And so we had to like sign like, uh, you know, um, you know, like, like, a uh, what is like it? A, NDA? A, a, yeah. Like an NDA. We had to, we had to sign NDAs on the spot. Uh, we're barely able to read them. Just basically saying that like, you know, nothing would leave the room and all that stuff. Um, and then this guy comes in who like was apparently ex, you know, I don't know what you would call it. CIA black ops type person. And he's got a fucking black hood over his, uh, over his head. And he walks in and, 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 and in the black hood uh, or something is like a voice chamber. So we can't see this guy's face oh, and he's, and he's talking kind of like a, and, 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 w- and we sit down with this guy and it lasts for, I mean, they had like a clock on it, you know, it was like 45 minutes that we got with this guy or whatever. And he, and, and he didn't say anything that was like remotely more interesting than anything that they could <laughs> right. or something like that. It wasn't like we got international secrets or anything, but we weren't allowed to know who this guy was and we had to sign an NDA and we couldn't hear his voice and we couldn't see his face. And it was the weirdest fucking experience I've ever had. Wild. Yeah. The crazy thing. It was Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the really, that's a really crazy thing. Yeah. He got in, he got in his Ferrari with his, life-size ninja turtles and drove away because yeah he's like that guy fucking stole my man he is still convinced that I, if i ran into him today he'd be like you're the one sheep, you're dude. the I'm guy <laughs> no, yeah. I, was uh was spider-man your first that so that the spider-man travel diary was the first one mm-hmm. and did the spider-man trilogy come next or did the avengers ya stuff come next oh the avengers came next i did forget about that yeah that came next that was <laughs> and you <laughs> did a couple of those right yeah it, there are three like, of those uh-huh yeah. the uh, the avengers assembly they're very like illustrated middle grade like kamala Miles and Doreen Squirrel Girl are in an after-school superhero program. They're Aww. so cute. <laughs> They're <Very> really <laughs> cute. <laughs> that was really fun. That was like um, a scholastic editor reached out and was like, would you want to write oh, a really? Ms. Marvel book? Uh, and I fully like think this is because when I say like literally everyone I talked to I was like I want to do this <laughs> so <laughs> once I said like oh I'm quitting my job I'm going to be writing I think people were like oh yeah she said she wants to do this but you it, you always wanted the the uh the desire was always to do YA stuff yeah I love Kidlet I think yeah. Kidlet is one of the we have the room to do just really exciting cool things and people care so deeply about the work and they are you know like children's lit i think started the diversity conversation before adult lit did like we had we need yeah. diverse books i think that's kicked true. off like i watched that sort of transformation happen within the industry not that that we're anywhere near where we need to be no. but it was interesting to like literally go when I was like an assistant sitting in meetings and listening to people feel fully comfortable being like, we already have a black author on the list. We don't need any more to (laughs) seeing a New York times bestseller list that the top, you know, Angie Thomas was number one for like two straight years with the hate you give. So it was, it was, it was nice to watch the shift sort of happened Mm -hmm. and not again not that it was 
everything is fixed because I think people learned a lot of lessons around how to talk around the things they want to say that they know they couldn't say anymore. But children's lit is the best. Like I think there's nothing more fun than seeing kids excited about reading. It's just so wholesome and wonderful. Oh yeah. Well, and also speaking purely out of industry self-interest, like the, you want someone who's going to then go buy a Kamala Khan comic when <laughs> yeah, they're you know, like when they when you develop the attraction of those characters mm-hmm. in the YA space, I don't think you grow out of it. I don't no. think you, you you turn 14 and go, oh, I don't like Ms. Marvel anymore, or I don't like Squirrel Girl anymore. It's, um you yes. know, it's uh it's it's interesting how that yeah yeah i mean to see those characters kind of grow up with you i think is really interesting you know you and and you do very much graduate onto the next thing i Mm -hmm. mean i i I think that that is that's i i mean i I have a seven-year-old girl and um and you know there are books aimed specifically at at her and i think they're i think they're great you know they're easy they're easy to digest they teach good lessons um and they they are strong usually with their 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 social message yeah. um, and, and look, all, all of that stuff yeah you know i write on a kid show called bat wheels which is for preschoolers like i have received the note oh you can't put a joke on a sign the audience can't read man they can't like, read oh, it right right, <laughs> right it's you know and also i think it's very funny to be writing a batman show that cannot have any vi- like he can't punch anybody. yeah yeah it's a lot great. of falling backwards into pies and you know <laughs> Yeah. Cars crashing into uh, apparently uh, candy. Uh, I'm thinking of the British word candy floss. Cotton candy uh, carts are a very big thing in Gotham, Gotham City. There are a lot of them for you to fall into, crash a car into, whatever. A lot of pillow yeah. trucks driving by, stuff awesome. like that. But uh, <laughs> but you know, and you know, I, I've some of the writers that I work with kick back a little bit on the whole moral you know, the moral of the story stuff. And I'm like, yes. And I wrote for VR Troopers, which also had that same, like every episode of the VR Troopers literally ended with the hero saying, what I learned this week is. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. Which, was, <laughs> you know, which is very nail on the head. And it's it never feels like good writing when you have to do that. But look, if you're not doing that in your books for adults, you're also kind of failing a little bit. <laughs> like, you know, there, there, you, you got to be writing a, about something about something you know there's got to be and sometimes you know the message doesn't have to be that deep it doesn't have to be that uh foundational or complex uh but you know you got to be you got to be writing about something even with serious characters who are not allowed to change or grow or whatever you still need them to have a moment of uh you know, of, uh, of reflection because we all, you know, you go through your day and something happens to you. And at the end of the day, you assess what you got out of your interactions (laughs) with your fellow human beings that day. It's like, we are, I'm trying to remember who said it, but the, you know, it's not using tools. It's not any of the other things. The human, the humanity thing is making stories. Mm-hmm. And we all process everything that happens to it. You know, some of us self mythologize more than others, but, um, but we all are trying to extract meaning. Uh, it, it, and it, 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 yeah. we just make it a little more direct. 
Well, you, 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 you make a transaction, you have to do the accounting afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like that, yeah. that, 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 that's the bottom line. You know, I, there's a, a friend of mine, you know, it's her, her 30th birthday and, and, you know, like me, you know, she gets to her birthday and she does a bunch of accounting. It's like, okay, well, how did the year go for me? What did I do right? What do I need to do better next time, right? Um, uh, what are the lessons I learned from this, you know, stanza of my life? And I think we do that all the time. You know, again, like you, you, you buy a car, you balance the checkbook and see how much money you have left over for rent and, uh, yeah. and, and utilities in the next time. And I, I think that storytelling is a similar thing where it's like, okay, yeah. well, we've, the, the transaction is over. And for the last, you know, two minutes of this episode, we now need to, to figure yeah. out, you know, what, what we gained and what we lost and, and, and what we have to spend for next time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, is there anyone that does what we do for a living that can't point to work that changed them? Exactly. That helped them, that made them a different person, mm -hmm. uh, that taught them how to deal with certain circumstances in their lives, you know? Yeah. Like, 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 like when somebody accuses you of leaking their one sheet, it's <laughs> <laughs> it a appropriate way to respond to that. Yeah. <laughs> the appropriate way is not no one's going to see this fucking movie man and it's going to be a divot. it's going to be a fucking divot in your career i swear to god now did the and did the avengers lead to the star wars stuff you've done or was that um i genuinely think all of this stuff is because i was working like while i was working in publishing i was writing for sites like book riot polygon sci-fi and a lot of it wasn't just sort of like journalistic stuff it was funny little things and like mm -hmm. you know uh invoice you know, like joke posts and things like that and very visibly very publicly very loudly i would talk about the stuff i like and so editors mm -hmm. like star wars jen heddle just like dm me i was like are you gonna be at new york comic-con in 2019 I want to have some conversations with you about potential projects. And I do think a part of it was just how ready I was to, sure. you know, my friends joke that like, I am a walking exclamation point. All I want to do is talk about stuff I like. That's all I want to do. I'm like, let's like get excited about things. And I think people, editors like that energy because they know sure. that I'm going to come with ideas and come ready to sort of like do stuff. So the Star Wars stuff was just like, one of the other editors at Star Wars was like, would you want to write a picture book? And I was like, well, I've never done it, but sure. I'll, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I worked in it. I've read a lot, but let's see sure. how it goes. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah, my first paid writing work was actually licensed Star Wars stuff for the role-playing game. And one of my short stories was turned into a pop-up book. So I have written a picture book without intending to. That's awesome. Uh, they, they, you know, and you know what picture books are like. So they took, you know, eight lines from a short story <laughs> and made a, or 12. Let's be, let's be generous and made that into a, a Boba Fett versus IG-88 uh, pop-up book. That's awesome. Called, called Battle of the Bounty Hunters. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fun element of the current day. You know, people, People talk about, you know, there's too much IP, there's too many franchise, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, not to be overly pretentious about it, but not one person sitting down to watch Agamemnon in the 5th century BC in Athens didn't know how that story ended, didn't know all of those characters. What, like, they weren't wearing Agamemnon t-shirts. That we know no, of. 
There was no Clytemnestra cosplay in the lobby, as far as we know. But, like, this is the... Franchises are the oldest fucking idea in history. Everything Shakespeare wrote was either an adaptation of existing IP or propaganda for Queen Elizabeth I. (laughs) (laughs) Tudor war propaganda. He was big on that. Oh, yeah, everybody that hates Queen Elizabeth is terrible. Here's another <laughs> point about yeah, that. Yeah, but, but but then even Shakespeare became kind of the MCU of his day, right? right? I oh, mean, absolutely. it was like, oh, the new Shakespeare's out, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, and, no, and you know what you know what you're getting, you know what I'm saying? And you, and Damon famously wrote that great story saying that in every generation <laughs> there's sort of a writer that knocks out all the big stories. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that, <laughs> that, that like retells all of the famous stories in their own way and then we do that again in 100 years or 200 years yeah. uh, and it was great at Midsummer Night something I can't remember the title of the issue uh, but it's a very it's, it, it was a it was a compelling idea but that idea of like oh you know when you see the the old men who have made millions of dollars off of making you know uh, the same gangster movie 20 times telling you that superheroes are lame and uncinematic it's like dude we're all just working metaphors you're working yours i'm working mine he's working his she's working hers it's all storytelling and the minute you say you can't make a legitimate movie about a guy in a cape who can fly you're not a storyteller if you can't make a legitimate movie you know maybe that's not your thing but someone can make a legitimate story about a guy who's bulletproof I am I am like obsessed with the idea of mass storytelling of having mm-hmm. to create like you know like Marvel there there's a book called Marvel the Untold Story by Sean Ho and it is fascinating but sure. one of my favorite like just like brief little asides in the book is where he's talking about how in some of the earlier maybe not earlier days but um post Spider-Man and and all of that how they had this room that was just full of file cabinets. And if you wanted to use a character, you would go in there to see where the character was to see if the character could appear in your story. So like right. if you're writing a Fantastic Four book and you're like, oh, I want Spider-Man to show up, you'd go check Spider-Man and be like, oh no, he's in California right now. I can't put him in this right. book. And right. I think that's so interesting. And we were seeing it on a wider scale now, obviously with like Star Wars, the the like Lucasfilm story group people are... I'm like, I don't even know how you do it, but they have to mm. look at everything and make sure everything works within this universe they have created on a level that I cannot fathom, like the amount of detail. I got a note on my like Anakin story from Pablo Hidalgo because I had a line that was like, he's looking out the glass of the window. Or something, I don't know, something like that. And he's like, there's no glass in Star Wars. You can't, you can't <laughs> use the word glass. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have that. I, I, I will say though that some of the Star Wars stuff, I feel like, they're not exercising as much control as they could. Uh, <laughs> they let the costume designer on Book of Boba Fett put a zipper on somebody's jacket, and there are no zippers in Star Wars, man. Ain't no zippers, is, ain't no glass. Now there are, though. Now yeah. there are zippers in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. There's no... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not... The costume designer from the, the, the Power Rangers, you're going you're gonna to have some problems uh, down the road on the complexity and beauty of the costumes, but that's another uh, story. Uh, all that stuff... All that stuff is so interesting, though. I mean, the um, uh, I, I'm I'm experiencing it on a a much smaller scale with the Immortal Studios books I'm doing uh, 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 over at Dynamite. Um, it is a an interconnected uh, wuxia uh, mm-hmm. kung fu universe, mm-hmm. and um, and I wrote this book called Fashing Origins that starts around 1900, and it kind of lays the the historical and philosophical. Uh, 
you know, sort of um, groundwork for the entire universe. And then I'm also writing this book that takes place in the present and sort of takes us into the future. So it is sort of the beginning uh. and then the the propulsive, like into the future of the, and there are all these books that sort of fall in between. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, as I'm doing this work, you know, it's constant consultations with, you know, three or four people like you're talking about, they're keeping tabs and all of this. And a lot of this stuff was, you know, it's foundation that I built. So, so a lot of times they have to come to me being like, Hey, uh, quick question for you. Cause you can answer it, you know, more quickly than anyone. Like, uh, where was this guy in 1910? You know, uh, can we put this guy, in, can we put the, can we put this guy in Japan? No, no, you can't because he, uh, yeah, he was having a cup of coffee in India in 1910. Um, uh, and, and, and all that stuff is so funny. I mean, juggling that and it's like, you're saying, it's like, okay, so this is, you know, I mean, what we're talking about, this is all happening, you know, in, on earth, uh, uh, you know, in this hundred year period, um, mostly in Asia. Um, but yeah, you're talking with star Wars, you're talking about, you know, worlds mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and, and so many different, yeah. God. I think those constraints are great, frankly. I like, I, I actually think the challenge, it's the same thing, the challenge with writing historical stuff, you know, you can ignore what really happened or, or you can go, no, okay, that's a challenge. How do I make that a thing that works? The, the, the story I just won the award for, uh, they said do Kolshak in 1939 as a high school student, and as is my as is my want, I was like, okay, let's look up interesting things that happened in New York City in 1939, and I discovered that Coney Island burned down. Yep. I also discovered that Alberto Anastasia, who had taken over Murder Incorporated, was strong arming the uh, dock workers in Brooklyn. I went, okay, so what if Alberto Anastasia did a protection racket thing at Coney Island and they said no to him. And that's why Coney Island burned down. And Kolshak witnesses a circus magician who can shoot fire out of his hands doing the burning down. (laughs) And all of that came from just going online and looking up crime articles from the 19, from 1939 going, what's, you know, when I did my doc Savage thing, i made Amelia Earhart, the, 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 the main subtext and again it was because what in 1938 would be going on in the world and i had a list of about five things and i just had to go you know the artist the grabby fun one like the the rise of fascism is in france is fascinating but holy (laughs) shit is that holy shit is that no fun uh doc savage throwing nazis off the throwing proto-nazis off the eiffel tower is a fun story that i will write someday but uh, looking for looking for Amelia Earhart in the South Pacific is a way more commercial and fascinating story <laughs> to do, you know. So we all, and it's the same thing with continuity. Like, you know, you, there are things you're stuck with. There are things that happen, and you can write your multiversal story. You can do that, you know. And I think that all of the major companies have leaned into the multiverse basically as a, and I right. say this with love, as the fan service thing of like, that Spider-Man you love, valid. Totally valid. Like, yeah. it moved me in a personal way that Andrew Garfield probably was feeling pretty shitty about being the Spider-Man everyone had thrown in the garbage. And that last Spider-Man movie, they basically said, no, Andy, it's cool. It's cool, man. You're, you're, one, <laughs> you're in it. 
You're part of it. <clears throat> and apparently he's back in the next one too. So yeah, I mean, no, and know, that's people, great. Yeah. That's great. Because yeah. that and that's the other thing to remember about these yeah. these things that last forever. The Phantom Menace is someone's favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah. And you can't like yeah. doesn't matter, you don't like it. Somebody loves it. <laughs> the, 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 the Garfield reappearance was so interesting too, because you you know, you have all three Spider-Men. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, all three Peter Parkers, I guess I should say, um, uh, standing there, and and you can compare them reasonably for the first time, perhaps. And I was struck by how magnetic Garfield was. Yeah. I did not, I, I did not have that in my head. I'm watching these three guys, and I'm like, man, Andrew Garfield really has something. Like, no. I, 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 I'm falling in love with this guy right now. Here's the thing. So I, like a million years ago, wrote a piece for Sci-Fi that did just I compared and contrast. Yeah. The first. Peter Parker appearances of all three of them, of Tom Holland, Toby, and Andrew. And it was the amazing movies are what they are. They mm. are a product of what was cool at the time, which was like edginess, like, yeah. you know, like just on the tail end of like scene kids getting mainstream, all of that stuff. And so his yeah. Peter is so, I remember just being like, why is he? crying all <laughs> the time oh all really does he? Time. i haven't seen the movies he cries he, all the time he cries he, all the time he's very emotional i want so he's emo he's emo spider-man he's emo he's emo peter he's so right. good in the suit he's so mm. good as yeah. spider-man when he yeah. is on screen in the suit he is like perfection Mm-hmm. So it it was really fun to see all three of them again because yeah. there are pieces of them that are so 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 good and then there's not, obviously you're like well that's not my Spider Man sometimes yeah, right. yeah, it was right. great no yeah. I've always I you know they never let me do it but I would I'm always fascinated by fan theories that like pre internet fan theories that everybody came up with independently uh, you know we all came up with the James Bond is a code name thing. And they grab some guy out of the SAS and brainwash him into thinking he's James Bond once every five years. <laughs> and that's the dude. And they're all very different dudes. Uh, the one that married Tracy and lost his shit was the most unstable, clearly, of all of the James Bonds. They couldn't pal- He got married in one adventure. Well, fuck, that, that didn't work out. Let's let's get another. <laughs> let's, let's bring back 0762 for a minute uh, until we can <laughs> until we can get this Roger Moore kid into the brainwashing machine. But uh, I would love to write that story because I think it's a fascinating yeah. take on the material uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't require a multiverse. But uh, but yeah, we all have these pet theories about this stuff and this headcanon, and it's yeah. all it's all good. It's all good. I, yeah, it's yeah. All Johnny Johnny Lawrence is the real hero uh, and, and and the real victim of the 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 Karate Kid uh, universe. I mean, I think that that's been proven beyond a shadow of in doubt. The, in the fullness of time, yeah. that is what yeah. we have settled on. Apparently. Yeah, you know. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I do think there's. I was uh, talking to a friend uh, today about the Final Fantasy VII remake uh, game. Did either of you play? No. It is so. What it when it launched when it was like announced, it was just basically we're going to take this pixel game that everybody loves so much and we're <clears> going to turn it into a PlayStation Five like full or for whichever system it was, uh, full immersive like 3D world everything, and then you start playing it. And there are little things that are off from the story, from the original story. Mm-hmm. They're a little like he meets a character much earlier and these little things. And then these like black figures in robes start showing up and you're like, what is happening? They don't explain it. It's just this strange thing that's happening. And then right. about maybe like 50, 60% of the game, 
you realize those black figures are there as like the arbiters of canon trying to force this That's video funny. game back into the story of what the original video game was. And it was like, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever played in my entire <laughs> life. That's this is funny. so good. You're making me think about my relationship to the original story and what it means here. And like, does yep. canon even matter? Right. It was like the best. Now, one of my favorite moments, and I'm getting back to James Bond, one of my favorite moments in all screenplay adaptation, because I don't <laughs> think anyone has ever done this exact joke. And it's I, it's not presented as a meta joke, but it it is a meta joke, whether it wants to be or not. When Bond sits down with Goldfinger in Goldfinger, he tells him that the plot from Ian Fleming's book doesn't work. And Goldfinger <laughs> says, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. Like, you're right. It's stupid. It would never work in a million years. I'm using an atomic weapon. Uh, <laughs> I'm not stealing. Yeah, stealing the gold is bullshit, man. You're right. You're right. You know, it would take 200 <laughs> men three days to load 500 trucks. Like, and he's like, yeah, you're right. That's dumb you're as right. hell. Not a good idea. <laughs> Ian didn't do his homework. That's why we're doing a totally different thing that's about, you know, macroeconomics in this movie. Um, and I think that's a hilarious, like, you know, uh, that's a hilarious take on adaptation of, like, yeah. when the thing is stupid, hang a red flag on it and go, yeah, no, that, that plan is fucking dumb as hell. You know, we're not... <laughs> We're adapting, we're adapting that book, but we are absolutely throwing out the garbage from the book because it's, you know, it does, it's, uh, and I think it behooves you, you know, no matter how much affection you have for the original material, the greatest adaptations are when you go, what was lacking? What didn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest Damon Lindelof fan, but Alan Moore is a great writer who doesn't understand the first fucking thing about American culture and he doesn't understand the primacy of race in American mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. And I love that Damon Lindelof loves, loves, loves Watchmen and went, I'm going to make it be about black people mm -hmm. because Alan Moore doesn't understand the first fucking thing about American culture. And that's what we're going to do here. You know, there's yeah. also in, in adaptations. What I, some of my favorite adaptations are people who look at the source material and then be like, well, I am literally adapting it. I'm not yeah. carbon copying it. Yeah. So like, Hitchhiker's Guide to me is ideal. You've got yeah. the radio shows, which are their own thing, the books, which are their own thing, the movies, the TV show, but they're yeah. all so good for yeah. so many different reasons. Yeah. And it's, and, and you have to, I was actually thinking about that the other day because I have a, a thing, the thing I co created with Kevin Eastman, Drawing Blood. I was thinking about the fact that we initially did it as a TV property. Uh, and it didn't sell at the time. And we turned it into a comic book. But in the process of turning it into a comic book, I so made it about it being a comic book. Right. In a way that adapting it back into a TV show, it will lose the the essential comic bookness of it. And it's about a comic book creator. So it's a very valid, mm -hmm. you know, it's a. Uh, it's it's about a guy who's lost his will to draw and doesn't want to create comics anymore. And that's way not visual in a TV show. And it is absolutely a thing I can express in a comic book much, 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 much better. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, when, when the time comes to adapt it back, we will find other ways to, to express that. But it is that thing of like, you know, I do think you can make any good story work in any medium, but some stories, you know, Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide, like radio shows, if I remember correctly, predate the books. 
The books are adaptations of the radio yeah. shows, and then the TV yeah. show is an adaptation of the books. Yep. And then the They're movie so is kind though. of an adaptation. No, and I, I, I'm with you. I I literally, I still have somewhere in this apartment six cassettes, cassette tapes, two-hour-long cassette tapes from the <laughs> seven, late 70s, early 80s that are 12 episodes of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy recorded after off of NPR on a Sunday afternoon in New Jersey when I was 13 <laughs> years old. Um, and it's, I will say, it's still my favorite version of the story. I do love all of them, but it's the discursive nature of it. Then now we're going to just change the topic for 10 minutes and talk about something utterly unrelated <laughs> to plot. That is best for a serialized radio show. You know what I mean? It works really well in the novel. It does. You know, it's, uh, but I agree with you. I, you know, and I, there's nothing like there are things, you know, there are things about how they adapted it for the movie that I would have done differently that I wasn't that crazy about, but I still found it a completely it enjoyable, fun. uh, it enjoyable was, movie. Yeah. It was a fun I, movie. I, I, I am a big Elmore Leonard guy. And because uh, Justified City Primeval, uh, I haven't watched it yet. Me I, I, I mean, I, I I loved it, and I'm I'm from Detroit, and so to, to see Raylan in Detroit was was really interesting. Ooh. But but so I mean that that, that Raylan character is really interesting because he starts in books, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he's in Pronto, he's in writing the rap, and then they create Justified for television, and things about Raylan, things about the world have to change, right? Well, well, here's the thing. Justified becomes a huge hit. And because of that, Elmore Leonard is then in the spotlight and has some opportunities. So then Elmore Leonard writes a book called Raylan, where Elmore Leonard is literally writing stories about the Raylan from the yeah. TV series and not necessarily the Raylan from Pronto and writing the <clears throat> and, 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 and they and they they do mix and jive in certain ways, but but I love that. And I love that I mean the Elmore Leonard verse in general is is a really interesting study because um because I mean the books have been adapted for years, but but they were never really connected or had nods to each other or or anything like that. We do or, need an Elmore Leonard cinematic universe, I think. Well, well but no, 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 no. But we have one to a certain degree, and it yeah. all starts. Quentin Tarantino does Jackie Brown, which which right. I I think which is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I think it's wonderful. Same. Elmore uh, 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 Elmore Leonard read the script for for Jackie Brown, which which is an adaptation of his novel Rum Punch, and he said not only that. It, it wasn't just the best adaptation of one of his uh, books that he had ever read. He thought it was the best script period he had ever read. Um, and so, so uh, my, in this movie, Michael Keaton plays a character, a well-known yeah. character from, from Elmer Leonard's books named Ray Nicolette, this, this federal agent um, and does an outstanding job kind of like steals the movie in a way because he's yeah. just so funny and so cutting and so like Michael Keaton tends to do. Well, a few years later, uh, Steven Soderbergh, another, yeah. you know, Hall of Fame director is uh, is um, making Out of Sight, which is maybe my favorite adaptation of an Elmore Leonard uh, uh, book ever. Amazing movie. I, I think it's incredible. And Ray Nicolette is also in, in, in the book Out of Sight. And so he needs to cast a Ray Nicolette. Yeah. And he looks, he looks at 25 actors and nobody is as good as Michael Keaton. And, and eventually he says like, what am I doing? Why don't I just cast <laughs> Michael Keaton? Right. And, and so, and so he calls Quentin Tarantino up and he's like, I have a wild idea here. What do you think of it? And of course, Tarantino's like, absolutely. 
absolutely. Yeah. And so Michael Keaton plays the same character in each movie. Yeah. And 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 this universe is created. This multi mm -hmm. not multiverse, yeah. but, but this Elmore Leonard cinematic universe is created, which which then continues. So um Yeah, so, we just need to get him in the in a Raylan Given story. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, well, it, and so well, well, here's the thing is so so they so out of sight is an incredible movie and it's a big hit for for what it was and, and they want to bring that onto television and so there is this karen cisco tv show which is great that is uh, a great, that was uh, a great uh, yeah but it only lasts for about a season carla gugino plays karen cisco uh and and is incredible and you know and and, and okay you know she's playing the the uh, the jennifer lopez character that is different however um uh the the karen cisco character and, and Raylan Givens, they cross paths in Elmer Leonard books at some point. So uh, in like season four of Justified or something like that, uh, uh, Raylan has to go grab somebody. He has to team up with another federal marshal who happens to be this woman named Karen Goodall, played by Carla Gugino. Right. Uh, and, and because the rights to the Karen Sisko character were tied up with another studio, they couldn't call her Karen Sisko. So she is Karen Goodall. She she uh, she just got out of a, a a marriage gone gone wrong. She had to change her name. She is playing Karen Cisco in Justified, right. and yeah. so the so the Karen Cisco from the Karen Cisco TV show is appearing in Justified, um, and so so it comes full circle. So so in so City Primeval uh, is a, is another Elmore Leonard book. Um, uh, it takes place in Detroit. Uh, it 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 focuses on this Detroit uh, 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 this Detroit um, cop name his name is ray something I, I i don't know why the name is escaping me um this detroit cop this character actually appeared in the movie out of sight jennifer lopez goes to detroit to respond she has to check in with this guy played by this wonderful uh, 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 a latino actor in out of sight well so this character pops up uh uh basically what they did was they took that character out of city primeval and they put raylan in instead it's going to be the same mystery, but instead of the Detroit cop, Raylan comes to town and he has to solve this case just like he does. Um, however, uh, Raylan has to check in with a Detroit cop. He ends up checking in with this 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 Ray character from who is the actual character in the City Primeval book, who is the same character that uh, that Jennifer Lopez checked in with and out of sight, played by the same actor. And so, so they're all, the, all, all the, there's all this connective tissue and, and you see them and it just blows your mind and it makes you feel all wonderful inside. And, and then you look back at all of these things and while they're, they're different in a way they have bought, they're, they're playing the same game. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're trying like hell to do justice to the Elmore Leonard books, the Elmore Leonard spirit. I mean, when they did City Primeval, they brought Elmore Leonard is gone now. God, you know, God rest his soul, rest in peace, all that noise. Um, but they brought on his son uh, to sort of to sort of be like the Elmore Leonard police. Oh no, Dad wouldn't have done that. Dad would have wanted this, like in the best way, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's wonderful. So that is that is my favorite cinematic universe right now. I think no, and it is it is. You know, the literature has fed back into, not to go back one more time to James Bond, but the first one I can think of is Ian Fleming deciding after meeting Sean Connery that James Bond was Scottish. Right. He's an Englishman yeah. right up until the last book when he's yeah. suddenly, he's suddenly yep. a Scotsman <laughs> for the first time. And it's like, oh, I guess he really liked Sean Connery when he met him. And the other, I probably the most famous one is uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. Uh, the book 2010 is really a sequel to Kubrick's it, they at the last minute they changed Saturn to Jupiter because 
Cooper couldn't figure out how to do the rings. So in the sequel to his book about a trip to Saturn, it's about a trip to Jupiter and we're just forgetting (laughs) it with Saturn in the previous book. Uh, And suddenly, suddenly Dave Bowman looks a lot like Keir Delea and, uh, you know, it's, uh, and that, again, I, I totally see the fascination with that. And as a, as a writer, it's, you know, we all do it. We love connecting these dots. Yeah. We love yeah. our work all informing our other work because it's fun. I, I have yeah. snuck characters from my dad's novels into yes. Betty Page because he was writing a lot in the 50s and 60s and it worked and it was just and i did the same thing up to avoid rights problems i did a like oh well this is your name from her first marriage (laughs) um karen goodall yeah yeah and uh and you know and and look even when we're not doing it when we're naming character like we're all doing echoes of the stuff we love you know and so it naturally uh, a friend of mine, Jess Nevins, did those great um, breakdowns of every character on every page of uh, Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm. And I actually contributed to the third one. And part of it is that the pool of culture is small enough that there's going to be overlaps. And there's a there's one panel in the third League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where characters walking through British Secret Service headquarters, and there's a bunch of Q branch guys disassembling Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and there's a sad old man standing watching them, and it's a British actor named Jeffrey Lionel Jeffries. Lionel Jeffries played both the father of the inventor of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He also played Doctor Caver, the man who invents the device that goes to the moon in From the Earth to the Moon, or First Men on the Moon, the H.G. Wells story. And one of the things I sent Jess Nevins was, he can be either or both of those characters. Because Caver, as a young man, is a character in the first volume of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He's like, that's Dr. Caver as an old man, or that's Caractacus Potts, inventor of the... Or it's both guys. <laughs> like you, can have, you can have it both ways, because there's a limited pool of British character actors from which to choose in casting crazy old men who are master scientists, <laughs> so you end up with Caractacus Potts and, or his dad and, uh, and Dr. Caver being played by the same guy. And that kind of stuff is fun and it's mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. In my, uh, in the, <laughs> in the Kolshak thing, the last scene required a New York city cop to threaten Kolshak and say, you can't print this story. You can't tell anyone what you saw. So I needed a New York city police detective who was in bed with the mafia and i instructed my artist to draw sterling hayden from the godfather uh and it's sergeant mccluskey because it's a few it's five years before the instead of captain mccluskey nice. uh and if coppola notices he could conceivably sue me but i think it's really <laughs> i think it's really fucking funny that it's the same guy and i even made it i made it foundational to kolshak's mythology because he steals his famous straw hat from Sergeant McCluskey as get petty revenge on him trying to shut him down. Uh, But, you know, it's that thing of like, I need a corrupt police captain in 1939. (laughs) Well, there was this guy in 1946 who fits that to a T. And I had him, I had him call Paul Kolshak, you young punk. Like he calls Michael Corleone a young punk because it's funny, you know, and the one out of a thousand people Mm. will go, that's Sterling Hayden. You know, (laughs) they're going to be, 
so happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what <laughs> Easter eggs are for that, are for the people who are going to be like, oh, my God, it's Captain McCluskey. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the the other Star Wars thing, was that also a, a, a storybook or was a, uh, a the, the Star Wars, the Clone Wars? Yeah. Uh, I did a – that was an interesting experiment. It was basically taking episodes of the Clone Wars and writing short stories. Mm. So I did um, – I love the Clone Wars. And one of my favorite, uh, the second Jen Heddle was like, we want to do this, like at New York Comic Con, I was like, I want to write Anakin. I, yeah. I dibs, dibs on Anakin. Mm. And so I got to write uh, the Clone Wars episode, Hostage Crisis, entirely mm. from Anakin's perspective. Oh, that's great. And in his head. And so that was just, it was just really fun. It was like an interesting thing that I hadn't done before and I thought would be like a cool thing to participate in. I watched that show and ended up loving it because I have so some friends, good. the Dillons, uh, who do fan base press, uh, just their favorite Star Wars characters are Anakin and Padme. And not having watched that show, I said, You're like, are you shit, joking? Why? And then you watch why? it. Why? And then you watch, watch it, it and go, Well, that's a better now yeah, I get it. I literally well, I will say that first season is a climb. It's man. Filoni learning how to write in real time. Listen, very, very painful to watch, but it's the kind of show where you sometimes will forget that, oh, this will also appeal to like, yes, seven year olds. Yeah. Um, But I will say I did a rewatch like in like the 2010s at some point. And I remember thinking like, maybe I was wrong about the prequels. (laughs) Was I wrong? You you weren't. (laughs) You weren't wrong. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but, but again, that's the thing about franchise stuff in particular is, you know, if you had asked me when I was eight, I would have told you there were no bad Star Trek episodes. None. Zero. Fox well, brain yeah. fucking classic, man. But the thing is the worst Star Trek episode, you are still hanging out with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock right. and Dr. McCoy. And they're great. Because they're those guys, those all three of those guys could overcome the shitty writing. Everybody makes fun of Shatner, but the reason he's so vivid is he out, is out there selling mm-hmm. the dumbest shit in the world as <laughs> like harder than anyone has ever sold anything. The Plebnista must be for everyone or is meaningless. You know, like who else would have committed? Jeffrey Hunter, God bless him, was unable to commit to the cardboard spaceships and the and the and the paper mache costumes <laughs> with quite the passion. No one can look at a at a, a golf a, a a tennis ball on the end of a C stand and get excited the way William Shatner can. Like that's you know, it's it's just it's a skill. It's an absolute there's, fucking there's, skill. There's also the capacity where you have these franchises and the ability to create story like full stories out of these like teeny tiny moments like mm-hmm. rogue one is in my top three star wars movies it's i could watch it on it. repeat i think it's so good and it's all born out of like a sentence in the opening scrawl of the first movie and i think yeah. that's fascinating and clone wars is the same thing where they're like we have this entire thing the clone wars and we get seven seasons of like incredible storytelling with a character who is arguably one of the most important characters in star Wars lore who never was in a movie. Like Ahsoka Mm -hmm. Tano is also like top three star Wars characters. Yeah. I love, I mean, I, the evolution of that series 
Uh. I always say that it's a kind of amazing that Filoni literally turned her into, she is the sled to Darth Vader's. It's so good. I get Charles goosebumps. Yeah, like, but, it's so good. Even with just finding the lightsaber in the snow, it's like, oh, oh. It's, he's he's Charles Foster Kane. He's the Darth Vader is the man who lost everything, and that's why we should feel bad for him in Return of the Jedi, and that's why his redemption is so beautiful, even more than what George Lucas showed yes. us. He is the man that lost everything he ever loved, and he it's, knows it about himself, and he's trying to get all of that back, and like, that's. Oh, that's God. that's just and it, you know this is a thing that i've been kicking around for a while now and it's it's so related to what we're talking about i think people underestimate when you go back and look at the movies or everything how much of the love and the lore comes from things that aren't the movies mm -hmm. in yeah. in return of the jedi there's some line in passing we you know where uh han solo says how are we doing and mark hamill says you know same as always that, that bad huh and um i realized watching it recently that when i saw that i had 75 issues of the comic book in mind way more than i had star wars <laughs> and the empire. they don't spend a lot of time together in star wars and the empire strikes back right they spend 20 minutes together in The Empire Strikes Back. They spend, Han Solo shows up an hour into Star Wars. This deep friendship and camaraderie they have, Hamill and Ford sell it as well as they can. But really, for me as an audience member, I knew the secret history of all the shit they had done yeah. together for the last six years. Mm -hmm. And without that, I really wonder if it would have had the same grab if you were reading star trek if you were a star trek fan when you were a kid again you had all those novels and you had the novelizations like the alan dean foster novelizations of the animated show whole universe of shit is in there that you've never seen on a screen and has never come back and i love seeing things like you know the echoes of it in lower decks mm -hmm. where they're like no 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 all that happened <laughs> like that wasn't a mirage all that shit's real and it's <laughs> it's also funny to me that like you know, that with a stroke of a pen, they made all of that extended universe stuff go away. And then in their desperation for material, it's all eventually coming back. <laughs> like they, you know, eventually, oh, Thrawn, we, yeah, remember how we said he was bullshit and didn't really happen? Oh, totally a thing. Admiral so Thrawn. So good. Oh, totally, totally a thing. And it's just that the way that fandom builds upon itself and a thing mm -hmm. that, a thing that, you know, a friend of mine named Greg Cox wrote a Star Trek novel like over a decade ago where he gave number one a first name, Una. And it's on the show now. Mm -hmm. And that thrilled that when they said that on Discovery, <clears throat> he was like, oh, holy shit. No one told me they were going to do that. That's um, awesome. You know, he named Una Chin Riley, uh, who Gene Roddenberry never quite got around to naming. And uh, a friend of mine wrote for the Star Wars um role-playing game did most of the writing he's the guy that hired me on it great guy named mike stern and after phantom uh after force awakens came out i said how'd you like it and he said and i'm gonna get the designation wrong he's like yeah it was quite a thing to hear ray say it was a yt 1000 corellian freighter because that's from the fucking i wrote that in the role-playing game some afternoon in 1988 and forgot about it for years and mm. 
now it's a th- the Millennium <clears throat> Falcon is a YT one thousand Corelli inflator now, <laughs> and that's now and forever. And it's small shit. Mm-hmm. I always used to compare it to my Star Wars work to like the guy that mixed paint on one day while Michelangelo was painting the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> like, I didn't make it. It's not my thing. But I handed him that one pigment <laughs> and that one, he let me put the wings on that one cherub all the way off on the left side. He didn't paint that part. I, I painted that part and I'm proud of it and I get to be proud of it forever. And yeah. uh, I always call it playing with the action figures. It's really, yeah. it's so much fun playing with the action figures that you love, you know, and, and again, there are people like you who like you thought about this stuff and cared about it and wanted it. You know, you thought there was a story to tell. Yeah. Um, I read uh, Last Ronin when it came out. And after I read issue five, I'd been friends with Eastman for like seven years. And we're on the phone and I said, "Uh, here's something I never wanted to say to you. I have a turtle's pitch. (laughs) I I was like, I'm sure that everyone you've ever met eventually gets around to saying they have a turtle's pitch. But I read Last Ronin and I thought of a story and I thought it's a cool story. And Kevin's great. And I, he said, no, man, tell me what it is. And he loves it. And we're trying to get it made at IDW. But what's wild to me is Tom Waltz, who writes a lot of the turtle stuff, uh, called, sent me an email a couple of weeks after I sent the pitch out. And he's like, look, we're working on the pitch. We're trying to get your story on the schedule. But uh, in your pitch, there's this gangster named, uh, I'm even going to, Joe or Sam Hades. Just a, a New York City gangster who April has to overcome in my pitch in the post-apocalyptic New York from the last Ronin. And he's like, so uh, do you mind if I use Joe Hades in a bunch of things and mention him? And he's like, I'm, we haven't bought it for you yet. So I have to ask you and get your explicit permission that even if we never buy your pitch from you, <laughs> you, you created this character in the Ninja Turtles <laughs> that I want to use. And he said, I'm mostly going to have him talked about as an off-screen character so that when your series comes out, people will go, oh, Joe Hades, like April's been talking about for the last yeah. two years. Um, but it's a wild thing to me that, like, the Turtles wiki in a couple of weeks is, will say, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Hades, underworld boss of New York City after the Hirota clan took over, um, you know, nemesis of April O'Neil and her daughter Casey Marie. Um, that's, that, you know... That's it's, a kind of immortality you never you never think about. You it's know? very I, very weird. It's very weird. D- David Pepos just killed me off in a uh, in a Incredible Hulk uh, uh, annual, and yeah. so if you go to the Marvel Comics wiki and you look up Rylan Grant, it's you know he is a <laughs> uh, he's a dirtbag Hollywood filmmaker who uh, who let, who led a team of other dirtbags into the jungle to find the Incredible Hulk and uh, and, and and met his uh, his untimely demise. So um that was uh that was pretty fun yeah. <laughs> it, is, look, it all, is weird <laughs> and, and we're all score settlers there, there's a guy that sued me once a bunch of years ago and he lost his name has appeared as various characters in the last eight you know like every every time i need a boring white guy who's a scumbag like i use some variation of his name because it's <laughs> he was, he was a, he a scumbag and i you know I never yeah. tire of it. That's the yeah. benefit of writing. You're like, mm, my my spite will go on forever. Forever. <laughs> forever. The shit I put in comics using his name will outlive this guy by hundreds of years. And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that name before. That guy was a scumbag. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's good clean holes. So uh, your the Spider-Man book, the second one in the trilogy, came out the fifth. 
Yes. That's right. Yeah. And people can get that in fine bookstores everywhere. They is it in comic it. shops or is it in? Yeah, there are comic shops that stock it. Um, mm-hmm. It is available wherever you buy your books. Mm-hmm. There are lots of, you can, yeah, you can pick it up. Is, I ha- it, huh? is it illustrated at all or is mm-hmm. it just? Fully prose. There are no illustrations. The cover is amazing though. It is yeah, by Nicoletta. Nicoletta yeah. Baldari did the colors mm-hmm. and the illustration for it. And then Jay Roder did the uh, text. It's nice for, they're doing all of them. Um, and also I am going to plug my Gambit and Rogue mini is up on Marvel Unlimited right now. All six nice. are available in the 11 limited numbers, 61 to 66. Ooh. Nice. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, a romance of Gamble and Rogue for <laughs> Six issues. Yes, it is. And that's, and that's <laughs> comics. That's not and that's comics. That's straight up comics. Yeah. It's um, I wrote the story. Uh, Carella Borelli did art and Carlos Lopez did colors and Ariana Mayher did letters. Good for you for mentioning everybody. I am a big, we are big proponents yeah. of that here. Yes. We're, we are big lovers of colorists and letterers here and we kind of <laughs> hate that they get left out. No, and we'll, always. You know, we'll have you on again to discuss that, the, the difference between prose and uh, writing prose and writing yeah. comics. Because we've all done it, and we all—I—I I love. I only recently started getting back into prose about um, two years ago. Good dog. Uh, and I've—I've uh, uh, I've been enjoying the hell out of it. Um, it's so much more work. It's—it's <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I'm working on a few uh, Infinity scripts. That because that's a whole other thing too of going from regular print page comics to Infinity's comic scripting and what is infinity of, comics infinity scripting. comics are on this on the phone so they're like webtoons oh. oh okay so you're looking at them like the first infinity comic script i did i sent in and my editor wrote back and was like you don't need page breaks and i was like you're right because there are no pages it is mm. just a scroll down i remember um <laughs> there's uh scott mcleod gets into that in the third understanding comics mm-hmm making comics and the third one is transforming i can't remember what it but it's about like yeah, yeah, the yeah. evolution of comics and he was the first one i saw have the idea of like if you were doing a web comic or a phone comic you could do someone falling oh yeah without panel breaks you could just be scrolling and scrolling and they you, keep you, getting low you, know? you better bet we have that in the gamut of rogue i was like if i'm for doing sure. one of these they're going yeah. to fall into a hole and did you get that idea from the scott mcleod <laughs> no no i read yeah. i've i love webtoons yeah. like i'm a huge fan of webtoons and it's just like i feel like it's natural like when you're thinking about yeah. the form you're like what can mm-hmm. i do oh down because you were scrolling yeah if you're not if you're not thinking about that stuff you're doing it wrong certainly no i've i i have never written in that format and i totally i totally yeah writing comics without and having to forget about page turns every five or six panels would be a uh, would be a thing for me (laughs) it's it's because you lose the reveal right you lose that those moments so you have to think about it like how can i still get that feeling yeah how how do you punch people every yeah yeah i will say though because you're scrolling down though you everything is a reveal everything is a reveal at least you never have that there's that whole thing of like i can see the reveal out of the corner of my eye It's just interesting. The like thinking about how you're telling these stories, whether it's prose, print comics, infinite, however, it's it's interesting to think about how we have to shift the way we think about it. Yeah, yeah, but it's those challenges to me are what makes all of this so much fun. 
Yes. And and adapting and going, oh, this is a this is a new, th-. you know, when someone asked me to write a short story for the first time in 30 years, like last year, I went, sure, I can do that. <laughs> you know, that'll be that'll be a fun thing. And and the short story I had to write or that I volunteered to write, um, it was an, it was another Kolshak thing. And there's an obvious continuity gap in the old series between the end of the second pilot and the beginning of the first episode. And when they said, oh, pitch something, I was like, well, he gets in a car with his boss and this pretty young girl at the end of the second pilot, and they're going to New York. And then in the first part of the the first episode of the TV series, they're in Chicago, not New York. (laughs) And the girl (laughs) vanished without a trace. I said, clearly something happened on that car trip. And I said, but I, everyone has pitched that, right? And he's like, nope, you are the first one to have any interest in that weird little, I'm like, great. That Let's is, go. <laughs> that is, that is the story that I will write. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on the various, because we met on Twitter, if I remember correctly. Twitter, yes. Twitter, yeah. yes. And Blue, yes. Sky, and Blue, Blue Sky, Sky later. We followed each other to Blue Sky. Yes. Yeah. Um, on all socials at Run with Skizzers, S K I Z Z E R S. Um, my website is where you can find my books, but also they are available everywhere books are sold. Uh, yeah, and and also co-hosting. I should say, Women of Marvel, uh, the new season. I'm the co-host of that weekly podcast. It's very cool. Okay. Um, and co-hosting Tarval and Her Bust, which is a Wheel of Time close read podcast. Wow. <laughs> I really liked the first season of the TV show. I have not read the books. Uh, I it is speaking of adaptations. I think it is a strong adaptation of a series that has consistently been called unadaptable. Interesting, interesting. I'm loving. I'm, I just watched the season finale of Foundation, and of all of the things that I love about it is how much Isaac Asimov would have just fucking. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I've turned all of your white guys into amazing black women. <laughs> Fuck it, Asimov. <laughs> I fucking love that. And, <sighs> and in terms of adaptations, not to change a new subject, but just like I have, a, I actually have a hard time loving the Villeneuve Dune literally because yeah. of literally because of the Apple Foundation. Because I'm like, you don't actually just have to fucking do the thing exactly as written. You could actually engage with the text in an interesting way and make your own thing mm. instead of I'm going. I mean, honestly, I love the I love Villeneuve. I think he's a great filmmaker, and I also think those movies look like a remake of the David Lynch movies. Mm. <laughs> like they're less original than you might want. Um, but that's a whole other. Uh, it's a whole other episode. But yeah, but I love that. I love that whoever made Join us next week. I love that whoever <laughs> made Foundation was like you know. We could have women in this thing. What do you think? <gasps> guys, guys, could we have some girls? Um, anyway, uh, Rylan, where can the kids at home find you? I am at Rylan Grant on all forms of social media. If you're just listening, that is R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just kind of drunkenly arranged letters and settled <laughs> me with it. And so now I have to spell it for everybody. Uh, but What's yeah, that like? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows um, <laughs> you can find you can also find my uh, my comic uh, uh, business uh, in fine comic shops everywhere 
if you go to uh, um, uh, the jump jumptobackerkit.com, I kind of have a one-stop Ryland Grant shop set up. There's uh, autographed copies of everything, some uh, uh, rare con variants and all that stuff, all sorts of fun things. So, uh, yeah, go check that out. Um, why don't you bring us on home, uh, Apollonia? I don't have a whole sure. lot more. Uh, um, Elvira in Monsterland 5, uh, the all-action-ish, will be out. Probably in a couple of weeks. I should pay attention to that kind of thing. Issue four, the God, Elvira versus Godzilla issue is out now. It is maybe my favorite comic book title I've ever come yep. up with. It is called. <laughs> it, well, no, the actual title is You Don't Look Kaijuish. Nice. Um, which I'm very proud of. And uh, and uh, has uh, Mecca Elvira on the cover. Ooh, That's wow. awesome. That's I'm very awesome. proud. That Dave Acosta, the artist, saved my ass by drawing Mecca Elvira before I had written the issue. And I went, well, obviously, we're going to do a lot of Mecca Elvira in here. <laughs> um, and uh, as I said, Betty Page on Bound Volume 2 just dropped. Um, that entire series was a tribute to things that I loved from 1950s culture. And that is the Paranoid Alien Invasion Thriller series, which has an equally ridiculous title, Invasion of the Betty Snatchers. Nice. <laughs> Can't help doing it. You're Even just, when it's not Elvira, there's still going to be a really dumb pun. I love just, it. Just throwing 100 miles an hour on these. It things followed the first half of that series, Betty Page Unbound issues one through five, is also that volume is still out there, and that is called Crisis on Infinite Betty's, um, which which was also good, clean, wholesome American mm -hmm. fun. Uh, and other things coming out next year, which I'm incredibly excited about, and we'll tell you about when they are real and not people happy talking me. So thank you so much, Preeti, right, for well joining us. Yeah. And uh, and we'll see you all on the internet and out there in comic book land. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.